You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jerry, it's good to be face-to-face. We are inside the front offices here at the Peoria Sports Complex. We are five games, Jerry, into Cactus League play. Uh, so far, so good on, like, every level. How are you feeling? I uh, couldn't be happier, really. It's so fun to watch the young guys play. But we've talked so many times about the energy in this camp. It's showing up. They're they're playing hard. The fun thing about having young players on the field in the second half of games is, is kind of like today. Yeah. You, get to, you see the enthusiasm and two guys that have never been in big league camp put together a pair of homers and, and we get to come out of there with the the uh, the tie, which is only possible here in spring training, but you know, it, it beats the heck out of a loss. Now Jake Fraley and Chris Myerskall with uh, two out back-to-back home runs to tie the game of the ninth today. And, you know, I, I talked to Scott many years ago when he first started about ties and Cactus League play because there was one time his first game ever managing that went into a chance for extra innings. He decided to give the thumbs up, like, hey, let's play 10. And it went, like, horribly wrong. Right? Like, the pitcher that he had got into a jam, ran out of his pitch count. Now you got to go to the, somebody else in the bullpen. And he said, after that one instance, he said, I'm never playing a 10th inning again. So I was very excited, even though I knew what was going to happen, to look down to the dugout after that final out and see him give the slash the throat sign to Chris Woodward. This game was over. Thrilling. Well, now now he's the veteran guy. Yeah, exactly. He's looking across at Woody. He's at Woody, this is how we do yeah. it. That's how we do it in the big leagues. And, and I, I think, you know, obviously, Woody's been around coaching here in, in L.A., a longtime player, but just having fun with Woody. The, the, the thing about that first spring with Scott that I will never forget is in, in the, the effort to try to create a winning atmosphere and environment, it's, it's very difficult to do in spring training because there's so much subbing in in a, in a spring training game. And oftentimes, by the end, you're, you're playing with guys that, are, that may be starting the season at the, the A or AA level and who were not invited to Major League Spring Training Camp. And you know, we call the, the backups the JICs, the just-in-case guys. And uh, when, we, when we set up our, our JIC list in 2016 spring training, we would – and now ordinarily, like for instance, in today's game, we had three pitchers and three position players total to, as the just-in-case guys. And in 2016, when the JIC lists first started coming over to PD, you know, we're going to need this – 16 guys. I mean, we, were, we, we were having to cancel minor league games. I, I said, guys, we don't need this many backups. We will get well, – what but if we go extra innings? Crazy, <laughs> so it's a, it's a, if they go extra innings, we just walk out and throw yeah. the hands up. You know, white flag it. That's great. Well, spring training's off to a wonderful start here in Peoria, and we're happy to do our first face-to-face wheelhouse down here. Remember, you can always subscribe to the wheelhouse wherever you find your podcast iTunes, Stitcher, Mariners.com, slash wheelhouse. The big story so far here in spring training has been Yusei Kikuchi. We were all excited to see him. He got the start a couple of days ago against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Two innings. Jerry, what were your impressions? 
I was very happy with it. He was uh, he probably showed a little bit more velocity, the high end than I would expect to see in his first outing. Touched ninety five to the first inning. He was easy sitting ninety three, ninety four, and we saw good crisp breaking ball. I thought his curveball uh, was better yesterday than we had seen it in his early sessions. And his slider, believe it or not, was not quite up to the standards of what we'd seen earlier. So there's a lot more in there with that breaking stuff than we saw. Uh, we've seen him show explosive velocity in the morning sessions, but usually at game time, yeah, you see guys work into their velo a little bit. And, and I thought the second inning was a little bit of a step back, but in, in relation to following Alex Wood to the mound, I don't know. Alex Wood is, is not exactly uh, traditional in his delivery, and he tends to chew up a mound. And you could very clearly see that Yusei was having a tougher time getting his footing in that second inning, and I thought his command teetered. Uh, but I couldn't have been happier with the physical stuff, the way he maintained a presence. You know, we, we, we didn't make a couple of plays or we allowed it to get sloppy a little bit and back out of him. And for all that he has dreamed of in stepping over here, even if it's in a, a spring training game, to face guys like he faced, the players that he's seen on the international stage, an MVP, you know, Yasiel Puig, who's entertaining and, and nothing else. notable. So I do think it was uh, it was fun. Uh, it, it brought a little electricity to the ballpark. And I know the guys, when we were walking over from the office, the guys said, "This I'm really excited to see a spring training game today. And, the, and, and that's been the case more often than not these first five times. The MVP you referenced is Joey Votto. I know it's early. Votto hasn't seen live pitching much. But this is a guy who does not strike out much and never has an ugly swing and a miss. And he had... A brutally ugly swing and a miss tied up. He had handcuffs on on a curveball from Kikuchi. That one pitch alone kind of shows you how dominant he can be to hogtie one of the best hitters in the game. It was interesting hearing Votto's comments to Reds media after the game. He said, you don't see many curveballs like that right now in the majors. He mentioned two Dodgers, Ryu and Kershaw. But I was curious, your thoughts. He said, you don't see many traditional curveballs like that. What do you think he means by that? Well, in today's game, especially among left-handers, it, it's uncommon. And we have a variety of lefties who throw curveballs. You know, Wade has one, Marco has one, Yusei has one. But the higher slot lefty who throws in from more of a traditional over-the-top uh, angle and throws a curveball that has not just up-and-down break, but has up-and-down and across. So it's a that is more the old traditional kind of we'll call it the Uncle Charlie, you know, the the, the old references to the traditional overhand curveball. I think that's what he's talking about. You say does have that pitch. He also has the hard cutter, the slider, he has the other power pitches. But that up and down curveball that also slants across is it's not really common in today's game. It was impressive to see, no doubt about that. We also saw Justice Sheffield make his debut. Some poor weather canceled what would have been his debut in the opener. But we saw him in Scottsdale against the Rockies. Handful of strikeouts, including a couple looking. What did you make of Justice in his springtime debut? Uh, I thought he was filthy, frankly. I thought his breaking ball was at times unhittable. It break, the break is so late and so sharp that it's really hard to pick up until the very end. Similarly, I, he was 91 to 94 and showing the kind of velocity in, in early camp that leads you to believe that by the time we break, he's, it's going to be 
special. And I think the thing I was most excited about, in addition to you know the velocity and the dominance of the breaking ball, he showed a very good changeup and real feel for where he was throwing it. So uh, we thought the day we acquired justice that we got a guy that had three above to well above average pitches and we were going to have to hone the command and I think we saw all of that and we didn't really see the need to hone the command too much you know which is very exciting and I could say something similar about Gerson Batista we didn't we didn't see the the flaw in the command we've seen guys go out and hammer the strike zone with real stuff and it's so exciting to watch these young guys do this so early in camp. So Batista, we saw already throwing flames, right? He was which is his ninety nine, yeah. right? You mentioned Sheffield and where the velocity is now, and where you project it to be at the end of spring training. How does that work from one pitcher to the other in terms of building velocity during? And this year, it's a shorter spring, but normally four weeks. Well, you know, oftentimes with the the young relievers, you see something in the ninetieth percentile of what they have. With starting pitchers who are trying to work their way into what they know is going to be a long inning season, there's you see them start eh, two, three miles under their normal uh, averages. So, you know, today, for instance, you saw Marco Gonzalez, who I thought had a terrific outing, uh, the laser-sharp command of all of his pitches. You saw Marco working at 88, 89 miles an hour. Now, we'll flash forward into April, and my guess is that that 88, 89 is going to be more like 89 to 92 because that's generally Marco. Uh, But they're going to work into their velocity. They're here to work on command and location and the feel for throwing their secondary stuff when they're behind in the count because that's what separates a starting pitcher oftentimes from a reliever. The reliever, like a Bautista, you know, Gerson's coming in here. He's had a lot more outside reps uh, down in the Dominican Republic. He pitched longer into the offseason than a lot of the pitchers here in camp did. And he's coming out, and he's just he's letting it hunt quick. Yeah, he knows he's out there for an inning. And, and believe it or not, working at 98-99, it, he's, there's still something in the tank. He, he can get up to 102, 103. And, uh, and I thought at 99 miles an hour, it was, it was fascinating watching a guy throw that hard that early in camp. You just really don't see that. You already mentioned Marco, but to touch on that briefly a little step further, his second start of the spring today, as we're now seeing the rotation start its second time through, seemed like we saw a lot of curveballs from Marco today. Uh, his first few strikeouts all came looking. Five punch-outs, I believe it was, over, over three scoreless innings. He looked to be, and you have a much finer eye, but he looked to be in about as good a midseason form as you can be with your second start, especially considering that your first one was an inning. There's, I, like I said, I couldn't have been happier with Marco's outing. He looked as good as Marco looks. Mm-hmm. He had great command of an 85, 86-mile-an-hour cutter. He was dotting up his fastball, like I said, mostly 89, and elevating it for strikeouts. I thought he sequenced his pitches really well, kept his changeup under the strike zone, threw it when he was behind in the count on occasion. And that curveball, I, I felt like he hit on his curveball every single time he threw it. And the location was, I mean, pretty flawless. And that lines up with what we've seen in his bullpen work from the time he got here. He came in with what I would say is advanced command. And usually when you get outside, especially having spent so much time in Seattle in the offseason, Marco, as he did, you're throwing inside all the time. And when you first get outside, you feel like, home plate is 100 feet away you need a cutoff man to hit your location (laughs) and he's really been dotting it up since the day he got here and I thought he looked great today 
One thing I will note, though, very quickly, because he posted it to his Instagram story, Marco did manage to get out on Capitol Hill and throw a little bit at Cal Anderson Park uh, right on Capitol Hill, right by his house. So that could be part of uh, maybe getting going early here at spring training. There's a, he's, he's braving the elements, which prepared him for day one over at Ho-Ho last week. It was you know, less than ideal. <laughs> All right, let's talk some offense. Enough of this pitcher nonsense, Jerry. We have a little bit of offense. We have some fun. I want to talk about what I would think was a pretty emotional home run. Kyle Lewis, former first-round draft pick, got me the point today. Kyle has been injured the last two springs has never been able to take part of a spring training game. Period. We're not talking just A games, Cactus League games. We're talking even on the backfields with the chain link fences. And he hits a moonshot home run the other day. He's looked the part right now of a first-round draft pick, and it was just tremendous to see him have that success in his first start. Uh, There's not a single—I don't want to say not a dry eye in the house. There was not a single face in the Mariner family that wasn't grinning ear to ear. Because this kid's been through so much since August of 2016. He never has. Yesterday was the very first time playing in a spring training game of any type. And when he struck that ball, I mean, you, you might have been able to hear that in, you know, Albuquerque. It, it was loud. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I hope he enjoyed it as much as he should have. And, you know, to, to put a swing like that on a ball for a guy who's never in a big league, been in a big league camp is enough. To do it not ever having played in a spring training game at any level, having combated what he's been through, and really just an up-and-down 2017 as he got back to full health. He looks great physically. He's moving great in the outfield. Like I said the last time we spoke, I think he actually grew. Uh, He looks like a big leaguer right now. He absolutely does. I mean, it looks like like big league studs look. Sure. And – you know, he walked in the door, and I, my first thought when he walked in the door was, I, I, I think he's taller, and I'm pretty sure he kidnapped Andre Dawson's body. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great comp. That's uh, fantastic. I had a chance to talk with Kyle a little bit the other day, and I kind of made a joke, but I was serious about it. I, I said, Kyle, Jerry's gotten you some reinforcements, man. I mean, there's now this great pool of talent surrounding him that he will either play with or will be playing just a level behind him. He told me that he and Evan White are roommates and very good friends, and uh, they both uh, share great faith, uh, both on the field and off the field. And he spoke to just the quick camaraderie that all of these new players, now Evan's not that new, right? But all these players that have come over this winter or were recently selected in the draft are quickly bonding in the clubhouse and away from the field and just how much he's enjoying that, which was really fun to hear. Right, and it is Evan and Kyle particularly the quality of the people. They're just off the charts, good people. And, uh, you know, some of our moles, you know, the people around the city of Peoria, there are a lot of Mariner personnel here now, coaches, staff, whatever. Uh, happened to see the group of them at a restaurant the other day with with Kyle and Evan and Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield and and you know it's 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 fun to see these guys start to come together and and they may all have a different ETA at the at the big league level but they're all going to be part of a, of a really what we think is a special group when they come together you know Kyle is very likely to start season in Arkansas uh, as will Evan White and likely as will Justin Dunn. And, and they'll get to play with guys like Jake Fraley and Dom Thompson-Williams. And, 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 and so many of, of, of the players that we have acquired are all in that same age window, and they seem to have so much in common. 
there's a there, there's a, a natural ease to to watching them operate. It took about three days of people walking around in this almost uh, like mausoleum like quiet and you know when when that first 72 hours passed and they started having meals together and sitting with one another in the cafeteria it it was awesome to watch it come together and I think it shows up every day with the fun they have out on the field of all the moves that you made this winter one that I don't know might be the most overlooked trade was Ben Gamble for Domingo Santana Santana Two years removed from a 30 home run season. we Some Mariners fans might remember, we saw Santana in his rookie year break in with the Astros. But Santana, you talk about a large man, first of all, right? Santana had an absolute moonshot. In fact, it was so deep towards center field, just to the left of the batters out here in Peoria. If you weren't tracking it off the bat, it was easy to lose uh, during daytime baseball. Uh, what have you seen early on from Domingo Santana? Huge power, uh, and it is to the big part of the field. You know, I, that for he hit that ball, and I, I believe it, it it just whistled by our flag on top of the batter's eye at, at uh, just the left of the batter's eye in, in center field. That's like a, a pulled homer for Domingo. <laughs> His, uh, he hits the ball to, to the big part of the field as far as, as just about any right-handed hitter you'll see in the game. And, and uh, I, I thought it fascinating when he hit that, he hit that ball up almost as far as he hit it out. And, you know, that's usually pretty reflective of the kind of raw power a player has. You know, one of the early lessons I was taught in scouting is we, we've got the little the stopwatch. And we time runners running to, to first base to try to get a, an, an estimate of their foot speed. It's not always perfect, but it's an estimate of their foot speed. And, you know, if a runner gets to, to first base in 4.2 seconds, he's roughly a, a, an average to, to above type runner. 4.0, you're moving. And similarly, when hitters hit the ball up in the air, you, if you hit your, your stopwatch and time it, if the ball stays up in the air for six or seven more seconds, that's 80 power. You can't you can't not have gigantic power and hit balls that stay in the air that long. And Domingo, we we had a chance to grab a cup of coffee before his ball came down on the berm out there. It's a uh, it's gigantic power. He's he's really an awesome athlete. He has experience playing all three outfield positions. He throws very well. It's like a double plus throwing arm in for in a scouting vernacular. Wait, a double plus? Yeah, it's like a double double. Double double. Yeah, it's kind of like the animal style burger. arm. Yeah, something like that. Otherwise known as a really good arm. Because <laughs> <laughs> Scott uh, said that that he would feel comfortable putting him in center field. He's a pretty good athlete. And I said pretty good athlete is an understatement. He's six five two thirty, and I think I've mentioned this before. You know, per Statcast data. Uh, our fastest player is D. Gordon. Our our second fastest player by a hair uh, in back of D. Gordon is Malik Smith, and our third fastest player is Domingo Santana. In terms of how much ground they cover, and I, it's a satellite measurement. I believe the the data is correct, but you know, Domingo Santana is of those that have had big league reps. Uh, Domingo Santana can really cover ground. He eats it up with long strides. He's got he in that thirty plus homer season or thirty homer season he threw up for the Brewers in seventeen. He also stole fifteen bases. So you know this is this is a big man with real power and the the, the ability to do some things athletically that are different. Let me tell you, I'm not covering second base when he's trying to steal. Get out of There's the way. There's no chance. That's what I thought today when Jay Bruce was stealing. Just get out of the way. <laughs> I'm saving my shins. Hey, this is 
Shedlong's world right now, man, and we're just living in it. There's so much to talk about with Shedlong. I'm not totally sure where to start. Let's start with this. I imagine that you can't be much happier with the acquisition of Shedlong right now. There's, we talked about it in, in previous podcasts or discussions. You know, Shed, we tried so many times through the – Dick Williams probably was sick of seeing me call through on his cell phone. And every time we talked about a player or players, you know, I would have to be talking about Shed Long as a part of this deal or just simply, you know, tell me what we would have to send you to get Shed Long. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we didn't hide our, our – the appeal that he had for us. And then, you know, we wound up wiggling our way into a trade that we really had no business being a part of. And I, I, I remember the day that uh, I was on the phone with Justin Hollander, uh, one of our assistant general managers. And, and Justin had recently been on the phone with one of the AGMs over with the Yankees and, you know, had, had made us aware that they thought they were getting closer on the Sonny Gray transaction. And immediately we started working back and forth and, and uh, all right, what if you delivered us shed long, you know, what, what would, what would we have to send your way? And, and uh, you know, that lasted for about a half a day where we negotiated through what it was going to take. And he's, he's been worth the price of admission. And in addition to really being tooled up, this guy's got power, he can hit, he can run, he is versatile, but he is some kind of fun to spend time around is it's, it is uh he's, he's, he is a ball of athleticism is the, the best way to put it. And, and the ball jumps off his bat. He, he has shown the, the ability to play second. He's been at third. We've put him in left. We're going to try him in center. Uh, it's, he has a history catching. We're not going to try that. But, uh, and, he's, and he's not the tallest guy on the team, so we're probably not going to put him on the mound. But he can do most other things. And uh, what we thought was a potentially versatile defensive skill set is bearing out early. I know Bone Perry Hill has been very excited about what he's done defensively, and you know the sound of the ball coming off his bat is shocking. It's it's shocking. It's and the, the ball he powdered to center field in his in his first at bat here in Peoria a couple of days ago was I, he crushed that ball. And you know, if when you see a leadoff hitter who's five tennis smoke a ball like that and there's never a question the only the only wonder is is the wall going to get in the way or is it just going to keep going he's been a lot of fun to be around I think he's really gelled with his teammates I, I did find out that one of Shed's nuances is he, he doesn't drink water so among the many skills that Shed has one is that he's not a water drinker so he finds other ways to stay hydrated and and uh you know outside of that it's 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 exceeded I've it's exceeded our expectations to this point. We thought we were going to have uh, a, an extremely exciting future player who is giving us reason to believe that the future is closer than we maybe, maybe than we thought. I said he doesn't drink water. Do you have That's, any idea why this is the case? He thinks it tastes bad. This only adds another layer to shed law. The lore. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And well, he's a, well he's, Colin's already called. He's a good guy. He's already called the Mariners team store and has had a customized shed long jersey made up. Is that right, Colin? Not yet, but I mean, I mean it's, it's on the way. I would say like two weeks into his <laughs> major league career, he'll probably do something that warrants making the purchase. And by that, he means into his AAA career. <laughs> that is, shed Shed has been of all the young players in camp, and so many of them have stood out early. None of them has really stood out any more than Shed Long. He's, he's been great. Not to mention the fact that he just kind of has this. 
way that he carries himself, shall we say, that is like, no, man, I've I've been in the big leagues for like five years. But it doesn't come, I mean, I, now I'm watching him from the booth and I'm watching him interact, you know. It never, from my eyes, comes across in this cocky way, just in this supremely, I am shed long, I am here, I'm going to be here for a while type of way. I, I sense that same thing. And it's a, if I'm looking at Shed, and I'll just use the vernacular, he looks cool. You know, <laughs> it's a, he, he doesn't look cocky. He doesn't, right. he looks cool. And he's got, he is very confident in what he's doing. He knows he belongs. He carries himself like he belongs. And, and you know, I, I, I think good players know they're good. And, you know, and Shed is one of them. And I'm, I'm really excited as a Mariner. And, where we would have thought, having never spent a day above Double A, that it was going to be a little further away. There's the early he his pitch recognition has been awesome. His swing decisions have been great, and he has done nothing but barrel balls up since the day he got here. You got to tell me, Jerry. I hope you, I hope you got some insight on this karaoke machine oh. in the clubhouse. Yeah. Like it went down before a game here in Peoria. What can you tell us about the karaoke setup? It was fabulous. It was, uh, well, first of all, the night before, sitting here burning the midnight oil at the office, like we, as we slave over making no decisions at all. I don't even know why we were still here. But the, we, we heard this, like, this booming buzz from downstairs. I, I, have a, I have a cap, an electrical outlet that sits under my desk that I have to open the, the cap you know, like the, the, the lid in order to plug in to the outlet. And if I open up the lid, I'm looking straight down on the, the player's cafeteria. I open up the lid so I can get a little bit better feel for what's going on. And there is booming karaoke practice going on below me. Lo and behold, uh, we, we have a handful of our young first-time-in-camp guys that, uh, that are – that are effectively karaokeing. They're they're and it, it was it was legit. It was not lip sync. They were karaokeing. They were dancing. It was all coordinated. And they spent easily an hour uh, to an hour and a half here the night before practicing the song and their moves. And it was awesome. Yeah, it was really it was awesome. But now, when so this was essentially performed in front of a in live audience of, that was the big league club the big league club the major league staff you know the the, the support group everybody was standing in the room and uh, the guys were coordinated they were dressed like a like a boy band and hats on backwards and microphones the whole nine yards they they got after it per scott it sounds as though Malix is a little frustrated that because of the arm injury, he has not been able to do much so far with his new team. So he, at one point, just kind of commandeered things. It sounds like Malix is very comfortable in the karaoke setting. I, I think Malix is comfortable in any setting. There's just That's my take on Malix. He's, he's a tremendous guy and so easy to get along with. But, you know, the, the, the karaoke, the morning meetings, the, the, this is a fun camp. And in and, and, and our time here with the Mariners, it has always been a fun camp. Whether you're a young player or a veteran player, everybody gets to cut it up in the morning. And there's a very relaxed environment. And it's a, it's, baseball should be fun. We get, we're playing a game, and it should be fun. I think the, the fans get, get to feel the fun that these guys are having. And you know, I will say that, that the karaoke machine was a new twist. I, and I'll bring you back to the, in the Wayback Machine. But uh, we, when I was a, a first-time camper, we used to have to perform a skit. 
you know, now there are actually rules against doing things like this. And I like, there were straight hazing when I was a young player, but, uh, my first camp, we had to perform skits for the major league club. So similar to the guys last night. And, and we had, we had four, a four man group and, uh, we were, we were the new kids on the block and, we it was that time, you know, and we we did the we did the, the the dance. We had the whole thing down. I can if if pressed, gun to my head, I think I can still do it. Uh, but we did the the skit, and it was it was so fun to to do. And and through the years, that seeing in clubhouses what guys are able to do, it's it's fascinating it's seeing a guy pick up a mic and and perform a rap where immediately he includes every single face he sees in the room and. None of us is 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 obviously. Well, I shouldn't say none of us. There are many talented people in the game, uh, but I was not one of them. <laughs> and and you know the embarrassment and that you get out there in front of the guys, and then after thirty seconds of making a fool of yourself, the next five minutes seems like nothing. You're like, oh, don't take the don't take the camera off me now. I'm rolling. Uh, right now, your life depends on it. Your karaoke song would be. If my life depends on it. That's, that is karaoke. Uh, I don't know if there's another way to look yeah, at it. Yeah, I would say Don't Stop Believing from Journey. I feel like I could hammer That's that one. That's a good one, too. Very classic. Yeah. Uh, well, I, Steve Perry, by the way, not an easy karaoke, but I, I feel like I'm not easy for challenge. Some. Yeah. Now, uh, Scott said that he, he, would, he refused to answer his go-to karaoke. He does say, as a proud uh, Colin Wisconsinite, is that the correct way to say it? I think so. Okay. As a product of Wisconsin, a Wisconsinite, uh, he can polka. A cheesehead. Yes. Can you, would you like to ever see Scott service polka? That sounds As a matter a of fact. Scarring. Have you seen this? I, I've not seen it, but not only would I like to see it, I would <laughs> I'd put some money in the kitty to make it happen, <laughs> for sure. There's been a promotion in uh, the front office. We had a ta- chance uh, last spring training in this very building to talk with, at the time, uh, an assistant to the general manager, Joe Boringer. Fascinating background, an MIT guy. He has now been promoted to assistant general manager alongside Justin Hollander. Uh, you can only judge a man by how many assistants he has, Jerry. <laughs> uh, so you have two now. Uh, tell us a little bit about that move and Joe and uh, why it was time for him to become assistant GM. Well, Joe, Joe's been with the Mariners. Actually, this is Joe, Joe's second tour duty. He was uh, an, he's an area scout with the Mariners in the early 2000s. And, uh, and I hired Joe to come over to the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2007. And, and he joined uh, the Diamondbacks as a pro scout when I was overseeing the scouting operation there. And he worked with me there in Arizona through 2011. And in 2012, he had the opportunity to go to the Cubs and, and run their player personnel. So Joe, th- up to from 2012 through 14, worked with the Cubs, helping to put together a lot of that foundation. Now, oversaw or contributed to the trades that brought guys like Rizzo and ah, there's like Rizzo and and um, Addison Russell and the like into the the fray. Kyle Hendricks and Jake Arrieta, and there's a good judge of baseball talent and, and a very intelligent guy. He's got he's got a, a degree in in business from MIT. He's able to to put things together. I think one of the best communicators I've ever worked with. He's got 30 years of experience in the game, covering administrative roles to in the field scouting, uh, and and done just about everything in between, including managing groups. and And I thought with the departure of Jeff Kingston and his skills as a communicator, he gave us the ability to bridge the gap without really dropping a ball. 
He's a good guy. Really enjoyed our visit with him last year, and congrats on him. Now, he will still work remotely? Is that how this will set up? Yeah, he lives outside of Chicago. And, you know, I, my hope is that the day will come where he relocates to Seattle and, uh, and, and we get that sooner than later. But with the, the group that he's overseeing, is just short of 60 people. And of the 60, I think only six of them actually work in Seattle. So his, his is a satellite group, so there's really no need to have him day to day. But he'll be there as a monthly presence uh, throughout the calendar year. Jerry, this is normally the time where I ask you if you are ready for Stump JD. But I think this is when you need to ask me if I'm ready for Stump JD, you know, based on past. Do I, do, do I get to stump you today? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 man. That's not, that's man. not, that's not, that's right, not so, how this will work at all, ever. So now I know this one's coming. We're, we're looking at like a roll this Chapman's O2 yeah, slider. This, right this, this, uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. No, I was inspired. I'm always inspired for Stump JD. I was especially inspired. I'm watching a guy I haven't had a chance to talk to yet, but I'm, I'm eager to, Dom Thompson-Williams. Yeah, who we affectionately refer to as DTW. I was wondering, DTW, DT-dubs. Yeah, could okay. be any of either, those. Either or, okay. Any of those. Uh, he inspired me, Jerry, for this Stump JD question, which is, like last week, very straightforward. Jerry, can you tell me the three players to play in Major League Baseball history with hyphenated last names? Oh, my God. Uh, well, we saw two of them today. Isaiah kind of Falefa. Well, no, to be in a major league game, not Cactus League game. I'm talking you Isaiah get... kind of Falefa. Okay, there's one. Big leagues all right. Year you said the two. What's the other one? Uh, what? There's there's two. There's, or there's three. three. There's three in the history. Think about this in the history of Major League Baseball. There have only been three players with to hyphenated... appear in a major league game with hyphenated last names. Isaiah kind of Falefa. Correct. Ryan Roland Smith nailed it. This one is totally the wild card because he, he has some Northwest roots. Not a ton of time in the big leagues. Not the kind of Falefa has, but he's right there in front of us. We see him with the Rangers all the time. I will get, hint? Would you like one? Want a hint? Sure. Fire. This player also played for the Rangers. Also played for the Rangers. Semi-recently, like within the last couple of years. Austin Bibbins Dirk. Yes, Jerry. Yeah. Yes. All right. I, I needed the hint. But it That's was, all right. It's uh, all right. I, I I feel like I just won the. the Isn't New it York amazing though? I mean, baseball's been around like since the Civil War, and it took until I don't know 2015 for Austin Bibbins Dirks to be the first guy with a. I guess Ryan Roland Smith. So that would have been 2000. years. Yeah. Right. Uh, to get into a game with a hyphenated last name, which is kind of bizarre. So. Take it a step further. Counter for left is the first one to ever hit a home run with a hyphenated last name. So here's hoping that DTW will be the second one day. And perhaps maybe the, the first hyphenated all-star. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Which is hyphenated on its own. I, I have one thing to add, and this because I'm fascinated by it. Years ago, uh, years ago, I signed a free agent player named Joe Smith, who's had a wonderful career, currently playing for the Houston Astros. Sounds like a very standard name. Joe Smith, in the history of Major League Baseball, in, as, as, there's only been one other player in the history of Major League Baseball named Joe Smith. Now, that's better than the hyphenated name. That's that. insane, right? That is insane. Yeah. That's, that's, now, how did you find that out? Have you been doing Stump JD before Stump JD was a thing? No, I was just, I looked. <laughs> <laughs> I looked. Really? All right, I would not have guessed that. Well, congrats. I feel much I feel much better about Stump JD this week. For like so many reasons. Well, you helped me, you know, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not, 
tearing you down for uh, correction, Aaron. <laughs> uh, let's get to some listener questions. Paul in Seattle, not only about you, Jerry, I'm guilty of like eating in great restaurants when I'm out of town. And then when I'm in my own town, I don't eat in all the great restaurants that I would if I was visiting Seattle. So I give you a little bit of an out here. Paul wants to know what triple D spots have you tried in Seattle? Which ones would you recommend? Have you tried Sisters and Brothers, which looks like some really, really good fried chicken? I have seen the episode with Sisters and Brothers. I have not been yet. There's a there's another new episode that has a a, a new Piroshi place that's on Second, okay. just just across from the the courthouse. I've not been there yet, but it's on my hit list. Believe it or not, I've not hit any of the Triple D spots in Seattle, but I feel like I've eaten in about every good restaurant. <laughs> In Seattle, it's it's been like a methodical list. I started out with a list of about thirty, and I've been plowing them off. And you know, my wife and I have. Uh, it's a challenge just to get through all of Ethan Stoll's restaurants, but sure, uh, we've been through Ethan's restaurants uh, to for the most part. I think we've missed one or two. The the many of the Tom Douglas restaurants, a lot of the maybe more notable restaurants in Seattle, but I haven't hit any of the Triple D places yet. All right, Paul, we're very sorry, but Sisters and Brothers is on the list. It's it's on my house. I, I have I have a, a a little note on my notebook on my my phone here. Places to eat. Sisters and Brothers is on it. Very good, nicely done. Interesting question from Noah, who checks in by the way from Hudsonville, Michigan, which is close to Zealand, Michigan. We heard from a listener in Zealand. Last time around, with analytics being a rapidly popular uh, element in front offices, what makes the Mariners organization different from the wet, from the rest when it comes to looking at analytics? I, you know, I don't know if there's anything that, that if there's a clear separator in how we use analytics, other than we tend to be less concerned with the strategic element and more concerned with the developmental element that that the analysis provides. Our, our goal when we look at the analysis, and don't get me wrong, we from the way we shift defensively to putting together game plans for how to attack opposing hitters or pitchers, we do use the, the data to, to drive game planning, so to speak. But more of what we are doing right now is using all of the data, including the analysis that is provided us by the technologies we, we have on hand. We're using it to try to maximize a player's skill set. You know, can we can we take a player and add an extra couple of hundred turns to, to his to, to RPM on his breaking ball? Can we can we give him a little extra hop to his we're looking for we have an entire game plan that is built around arsenal changes for our pitchers. When we're looking at our pitchers, is there anything that the data is telling us? Could a pitcher use this pitch more and this pitch less? Can we enhance the the way a fastball plays at the top of the strike zone by just shifting a grip or altering an arm slot? And you know, those are ways that not only are we gaining a competitive advantage in, in a game strategically, but we are potentially changing a player's career arc and his earnings potential in, in addition to. So, you know, we may be more geared toward looking first at the way we can help the player rather than the strategy. And third in that is analyzing the value of a player through his performance data. Uh, I would say in that order is how we use the analysis. And we have, I, I think, as, as interesting uh, an, a setup as you can have. And the relationship between our analysts and our field personnel is 
is, is becoming seamless. And uh, to the point where, you know, we've joked around with a couple of our analysts that we're going to slap uniforms on and put them down in the, on the field. And, you know, that, that, that day is coming and we will have a little bit of fun with it. One, I can't look for. I look forward to seeing Jesse Smith in baseball pants and the jersey down <laughs> in the dugout. But two, to that element, uh, it was really cool going to batting practice earlier today, and they had the Rapsodo unit out there. And for those who don't know, that measures all different types of things. But it's a small box that goes in front of the batting cage. It's a iPad behind the cage, and guys are coming out. Of course, groups are rotating through, so you see different guys come up, and 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 it shows you the max exit velocity on the day. And somebody walks up, and they go. Hey, 113, is that legit? Is that a legit score? Who put that up? Who put that 113 up there? Somebody turns, I think it was Dustin Lin, and says, that was Hanny. Yep, that's a real one. And it's just so cool to see people, just you go back, look at the iPad, and you can see what you did. It's it's a remarkable technology. It wasn't here last year. It's new this year. And it just it's one of those things that's very real world because these guys are seeing the data and they're getting fired up by it. Actually, it was here last year, but it was in its infancy and we weren't sharing it. So last year was the first year that we had introduced the Rapsodos and we were we started using it. And, and you may recall this conversation. The, the very first day that we introduced Rapsodo to our pitching coaches, Felix happened to be throwing a bullpen that day. And, you know, he said, let me see what it does. And, and Showed him on the the, the, the the handheld, on the iPad. And, and uh, he looked at it and, and he said, all right gets up and he throws a curveball and he sees the the spin on his curveball and it gives you a spin efficiency on a, on a percentage rate you know so it might be it might be a spin of 2400 with a with a, an efficiency rate of 85% you know and the first thing Felix did in that moment was he grabbed the ball and he goes give me that and he got up and he went and he spun one. And he, all right, now let me see. And, and and wants to see that efficiency grade climb and and can I get the, the players, these are the most competitive athletes in the world. Guys who play Major League Baseball or Major League Sport in general, they are incredibly competitive. They have to be to, to get to this level. And, and the, when the fun starts is when they start competing with themselves. Now you have a chance to really make a difference because you know, if, if your goal is to be better than the, than the person you're playing against, you may win 10 to 9 and you didn't really improve. But if you are playing against the best version of yourself, you're going to get better. Is the efficiency of the spin the tightness of the spin, or is it something? right? Okay, it's a, it's effectively the release point, the way the ball spins, the 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 lateness of the break, you know, and and it's been fascinating. I, I mentioned earlier the quality of Justice Sheffield slider. Justice has thrown a variety of uh, let's call it efficiency rates that we've just not really seen where he's tapping 98 and 99 percent efficiency rates with the break on his slider and that's just that's extraordinary you don't really see that I mean would that be something that we're used to seeing from Edwin Diaz is that yes okay yes Edwin would very Edwin has performed to a Rapsodo machine and it is it is an incredibly uh difficult slider to to replicate and a lot of this you know now we we've our next I guess the next innovation is is a pitching machine that actually replicates, physically replicates Edwin Diaz slider, Justice Sheffield slider, or Felix's curveball. All you've got to do is dial in. I mean, almost like, uh, almost like a, a military device. Just dial in the coordinates, and we can replicate the break of. The, now you don't you won't get the 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 arm action or the release. But the arc of the break and the lateness and the velocity, we can replicate spot on. And, and therefore, 
as we move forward in baseball history, practice is going to become very different than it's ever been before because now we're, we're stepping into a zone where you can, you can practice against mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a pitching machine that is feeding you. Justin Verlander. Yeah, that's right. So since we're talking sliders and Rapsodo and breaks and all these other things, Dan Altavilla threw a slider, Jerry. This video went viral. He threw a slider that went between the legs of a Reds hitter who swung and missed on it. And not to overlook, Jose Lobaton somehow stopped it and somehow picked it up. But the important thing was it was ridiculous break. You'll never see a swing and miss quite like that before. What in the world is going on with Dan Altavilla's slider? Dan Altavilla also uh, has a very tight and, and efficient slider break. Uh, he's always had an awesome slider. He, he was Dan Altavilla when I first got here was one of the most called upon players we had in the minor leagues. And it was because of his track man numbers at the time. He had a very high spin rate on his fastball and he had a very tight rotation on his slider. So you know what you're working with in player development. And, and Dan spent a lot of time this offseason on his own. He went down and worked with the guys at Driveline and, and in order to enhance his efficiency. More so than adding velocity, I think it was to work on his command and the, and the efficiency of how he was executing his stuff. Dan already throws pretty hard. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the breaking ball that we've seen him throw down here in his first two outings has been awesome and maybe about as consistent as any version of his breaking ball we've seen because as good as Dan's stuff has been in his career he's oftentimes struggled with consistency and repetition and what we've seen from the early bullpens to his first two game outings is really for lack of a better way to put it just a tight filthy slider that it's I mean Few of us in this world are, are able to get swing and misses on balls that are thrown between a hitter's legs, but uh, you know, count Dan as one of them and of the very short list. Jerry, as always, this has been a ton of fun. Camp is off to a really good start for your Seattle Mariners. Plenty of new faces. We've enjoyed getting to know them. We've appreciated your time as always. Thanks so much. No, it's a blast. Having fun. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.